Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. You can also find my work at fantasypros.com. In just a minute, I'm going to welcome in Jennifer Akins of 444.com. But first, I have some gratitude to express. Normally, I save the thank yous for the end of the show, but this will be an exception. Thank you to everyone who reached out to lend comforts and express sympathies after the recent passing of my friend Mike Taglier. Thank you to everyone who donated to the GoFundMe campaign set up to help Mike's wife, Tabby, and their two children. Thank you to all of the Tags fans out there who took to Twitter to express how much they liked Mike and how much they enjoyed his work and his personality. Tags and I were really only friends for five years or so, a a small fraction of his life. This past weekend at his memorial service and funeral, I heard from Tags' friends and family members, people who've known him all his life or since he was a child or since he was a young man. And it just underscored what a special guy Tags was. His personality wasn't just something he created for public consumption once he became a fantasy analyst. He was always kind, caring, passionate, giving. That's just who he was. At the funeral, his wife, Tabby, talked about his light and how glad she was that Tags finally achieved his dream of becoming a high-profile fantasy analyst so that other people got to see that light. And man, Tag's light was brighter than a giant neon hotel sign in Vegas. My modest hope is that when I die, people will say I was good company and that I wasn't a dick. That's it. If people remember me that way, my life will have been a success. But compared to Tag's light, my light is a 60 watt bulb, maybe a nightlight. He was a truly wonderful human being in so many ways, and it was just gratifying to see so many people recognize that. Also, I should mention that those people who did know Tags much longer than I did, much longer than all of his fans in the fantasy community did, the friends and family members, they appreciate the outpouring of love from the fantasy football community. It moved them to know that so many other people love tags too. So thank you. The fantasy community can be an amazing place, an amazing group, and I'm honored to be part of it. All right, let's go talk to Jennifer Akins of 444.com. And here with me now is Jennifer Akins, she is a senior editor and writer at 444.com. 
a frequent co-host of the Most Accurate Podcast, and she has contributed to NBC Sports Edge and Yahoo Fantasy. Find her on Twitter at the Monday Mommy. Hello, Jen. Thanks for stopping by. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. Can I can I ask about the Twitter handle, the Monday Mommy? Because it always makes me think of Monday morning quarterback. So does this mean you're like second guessing other moms' decisions? Like, <laughs> is she really? Did she really let her kids buy cinnamon toast crunch uh, instead of a more nutritious cereal? Or did she really let her daughter go outside wearing that? You know, it's funny that you even say all of that because I've had, you're not the first person to ask me that. And I never even thought that it would be interpreted that way when I came up with the name and more than, more than you have said to me, like, is it more of a mommy situation or is it, no, it was just a name. I kind of, you know, when I joined Twitter and whenever it was, um, I also, I started a blog at the same time and I just thought it was a cute, you know, twist on the whole Monday morning quarterback. Cause you know, I'm a mom and the Monday morning mommy. So the, the actual blog was the Monday morning mommy. And then when I went to Twitter, I just shortened it cause it was easier. So, um, yeah, it, it's not anything. I, I'm certainly not judging other moms. I'm the, <laughs> le- the least judgy mom out there in the world. That's for sure. Um, even though there is a lot of that that happens, but my kid, I only have one, I have one son and he's now 12. So I've passed all of that like judgy mommy stuff. I would I would hope to think, um, but no, it's 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 a straight up football name. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like I'm kind of stuck with it now. I mean, I'm fine with it, but I feel like as as my career has advanced, I'm kind of like, should I change that? But then I've had people be like, no, you can't. That's your name at this point. You got to leave it. So it is what it is. I like it. It's memorable. It's part yeah. of the brand. And uh, yeah, you don't strike me as the the judgmental type. So <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Jen, I should probably start by congratulating you for your victory in the Hall of Fantasy League this past weekend. Uh, it was a battle between. The two co-ed franchises in this league, the Boston Barflies, co-managed by you and your 4 for 4 colleague, John Paulson, against the Seattle Hayes, co-managed by Melissa Jacobs and I. Uh, Fun game. There were some momentum swings. You guys got off to a good start on Thursday night with Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon. Uh, We came back a little bit with Patrick Mahomes yesterday, but you and John put us away with the legwork of uh, Buccaneers kicker Ryan Suckup on Sunday night. So you guys are 2-2 two and two now. We are also 2-2. Two and two. How are you feeling about your team so far? Were you and John happy with the way the draft fell? I think we were overall. You know, it's hard when you have uh, two people that have different, you know, differing draft strategies, different. We don't necessarily differ on players. Like, we're, we definitely agree on a lot of players, but I think our draft strategies were kind of different, and we have never managed a team together before. So, uh, but I think overall, kind of what we set out to do, I mean, John is, you know, John well. So, you know, John and I are very different in, in theory, really. I mean, we just, he's very, he's a planner. You know, he has every round, every, everything. And I'm just not that way. I'm a go with the flow drafter. That's just how I am. That's how I've always been. So merging that was kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, we definitely wanted to solidify two strong quarterbacks. I think in Superflex, it's one of those things a lot of people either go that route or they go the, ah, oh, we'll see what falls to us and we can figure it out. And I've been burned so many times by playing quarterback chicken in a super flex league that this one, yeah. And especially with an industry league where everybody knows what's going on. I really, you know, we came together and decided we wanted two strong quarterbacks um, and we got them. I mean, we got, you know, the two best quarterbacks from last season, 
Uh, you know, they both have not been as stellar as we had hoped. They're fine. I mean, obviously, for those obviously who don't know, we have Josh Allen and uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, they both had one bad game and, and then have been okay in the rest. So I think that's panned out as we've wanted. We, you know, the running back is always a struggle really for anybody. And um, <clears throat> Mixon was a pick that kind of, uh, it was not a planned pick. It was, uh, we lost communication during that pick and, uh, John, you know, took him, which was fine. Uh, I, I'm not a Mixon person. Um, this is the only share I have of Mixon, um, this entire season out of probably 60 drafts. So, um, he's definitely not normally in my pool of players. Um, but where we were, I think it was, it was either, it was between him and Najee Harris. And I think Barkley was there and, uh, I probably would have taken Harris. Uh, he took Mixon. I, I don't know exactly where they are. They're pretty comparable, I would think, because Harris had, had a rough start, but I know he had a good game yesterday. So, um, you know, that's fine. I think our um, our second running back, and I know you and Melissa, I think, have the same issue, where our RB2, we kind of took a gamble on either Javante Williams, Michael Carter, um, Jamal Williams. We kind of have a, you know, a three-headed RB2 situation, which isn't fantastic. Uh, but fortunately, you know, we went we went really heavy wide receiver early as well, and we're pretty happy with how that's going. So I think overall, um, we're happy with our draft. We thought we'd be in a little better spot, but two and two were fine. And, and as John keeps telling me, you know, six teams make the playoffs here, so I think we're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, uh, it seems like you guys have a pretty strong roster overall. And one of the running backs you mentioned was Javante Williams. So we are on uh, opposite sides of that running back platoon. You guys have Javante, we have Melvin Gordon, um, and you live in Denver, Jen. So you have a pretty, basically a bird's eye view of the uh, Javante-Melvin dynamic. Do you think Williams eventually gets a majority share of the work here? Or do you think the current splits... Uh, is pretty much how it's going to be the rest of the way, barring injury. And it's been, what, maybe 55-45 Gordon so far. Do you think that's how it stays? You know, it's interesting because coming into the season and through training camp, I would have thought, you know, Williams would have taken over by now. I mean, all the beat writers were very heavy on Williams. Even, you know, Vic Fangio in press conferences was really impressed with him thought he could kind of, you know, be a multi-purpose back, do everything, you know, line up wherever, do whatever. But like you said, it's pretty close. I mean, Melvin has right now Melvin's at 19.7 touches a game and Javante's at 18. I mean, it's pretty even and it looks like that might be the case. I don't know why. I mean, I don't want to say why they would deviate because they're doing all right. I mean, they are three and one. Um, they lost yesterday. The problem I see now is that we're looking at a Drew Locke led offense, at least for the meantime. We, we don't know. You know it, it's early Monday morning, so we don't know exactly what's going to go on with Teddy Bridgewater, but if we are looking at Drew Locke, I feel like both those guys are going to get a small downgrade. I hate to say that, but I feel like I don't know if their run game – I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wish I could, you know, have a better answer for, for if Javante was going to take off. I thought he was. But, you know, we're now four games in, and they're pretty, you know, they're pretty split with Melvin a little bit of an edge. So, unfortunately, we may see this the whole season. Unless one of them gets hurt, of course. And Mel, yeah. For those who uh, weren't aware, Teddy Bridgewater did sustain a concussion. That's why Drew Locke was in yesterday. We don't know the severity of it. Maybe it's only a, a one-week thing. Maybe not even that, but uh, Denver does go to Pittsburgh next week. So if it's a Drew Locke-led offense, certainly Javante and Melvin are going to be less attractive uh, in that matchup. So you guys also spent 
uh, a major chunk of, of fab money on Javante Williams, or uh, not Javante Williams, sorry, Elijah Mitchell. Uh, and like that's been a really weird backfield so far. Hard to get a read on. Mitchell was unexpectedly the lead back in week one. Trey Sermon hadn't looked all that good until yesterday, week four, when he had a pretty solid showing against the Seahawks. I mean, he didn't light the world on fire. But do you think Mitchell is going to be the lead guy when he gets back from his shoulder injury? Or do you think it's going to be some sort of annoyingly unpredictable Mitchell Sermon split? You know, I, I hope that he is because we did spend a lot of money and I'd like to at least get it out there that I was not on board with it. Um, and John, John had tweeted it, so I'm not uh, I'm not doing him wrong by, by getting it out there. But no, uh, he John and I have very different strategies on fab. He kind of doesn't like it or want it and likes to get rid of it in the beginning. <laughs> um, I like to have money to spend as the season goes on. So uh, we definitely differed on that. Um, I was down with putting in money for Mitchell because I think you know, like I said earlier, we are lacking in that RB2 department. So it would have been nice to have one. Um, you know, unfortunately, he has a shoulder situation after one week. So that's rough. Um, you know, I would love to see him come back. And, and you know, we, we saw what he can do. He is a talented back. We knew that coming into the season. Um, you know, <clears throat> there was his rookie reports were stellar on, on how he, he was as an athlete. So that we were excited about that. And, um, you know, I think unfortunately in this backfield and with Kyle Shanahan, you're never going to get a true lead back. You're just not. And, you know, like you said, Sermon came on, you know, pretty, he was pretty good yesterday. I mean, like you said, he didn't like burn down the field, but he, he definitely showed that he has a right to be there and that he's going to be involved in the offense. We also can't forget about use check. I mean, he's there and he keeps vulturing and getting, you know, getting the work. So I don't know if we're ever going to, you know, truly see a lead back. I think it's going to be that really annoying, frustrating, cloudy situation probably for the rest of the season. And there we're in the same situation where now we have, we possibly have a quarterback change there as well. I mean, Garoppolo has a, you know, a calf injury. They're not sure exactly what type of calf, in, calf injury, or at least at the moment. Um, so we may end up with Trey Lance, which, you know, it's tough to really tell whether that's going to help that backfield or make it, you know, I don't know. I wish that, you know, I wish that, I don't know, heading into the season, we know what we have with San Francisco. And unfortunately it's, it's, it's ringing true again. Yeah. Maybe we get some of the RPO stuff with Trey Lance and it widens the rushing lanes a little bit and helps with the efficiency there. But at the same time, we can probably expect Trey Lance to vulture some of the rushing touchdowns near the goal line that might otherwise go to those running backs. And you mentioned juice check. I mean, that's like, there probably are not going to be all that many targets to go around in that backfield to begin with. And it seems like he's going to get the lion's share of them, you know, and then we've got this mobile quarterback coming in. We know that mobile quarterbacks typically don't dump off as often. So um, you've got two guys basically just splitting up the rushing value, which may or may not be reduced because of Lance. So um, yeah, it's kind of a tricky situation for thir- for sure. I think those guys are both sort of uh, flex, type players rather than guys you are counting on as, as running back twos uh, in a perfect world. Um, So one thing that's really worked out for you guys so far is DJ Moore. I mean, he has been terrific for the bar flies so far and for many other fantasy managers as well. Do you think this is who he really is a guy who's going to be probably a second round pick or maybe even a, borderline first round consideration in 2022 drafts? 
I think so. I mean, DJ Moore, you know, coming into the season, you know, I looked it up and I was actually surprised. So his ADP, he was wide receiver 21. He was an early fifth rounder and, you know, we have a a multi-site ADP. So it brings in like NFL, Yahoo, uh, ESPN, all of that. I think in industry leagues though, he was definitely going earlier. I I saw him a lot in in the third round, which, you know, and he's ridiculous. I mean, right now he's wide receiver four, uh, both in total half PPR points and half PPR points per game. So, uh, you know, considering he was drafted as a as a wide receiver too, um, and he's now the the you know, overall wide receiver four. He's having a fantastic season. I think a lot of people heading into the season were not, uh, you know, not on board with Sam Darnold, which was understandable. But I think he, ta- you know, he he had flashed in the past. I mean, we knew he was going to be a very good wide receiver. He just needed the opportunity, and he needed someone that could throw in the ball. Uh, <clears throat> I'm excited about him. I think next year, you know, you're looking at, he's probably going to leapfrog guys like Lockett and Robert Woods and Thielen, you know, which he was drafted after all those guys. So I can see him as, you know, a top say five wide receiver in that kind of in that vein this year where Rid- Ridley and, and McLaurin were going. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about him obviously for the barflies. I'm excited that we have him, but I'm excited that he's finally kind of showing his potential because when he came into the league, everyone was excited about him, but it was kind of a rough couple years. And so um, now here he is, you know, as a true wide receiver one, which is which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And uh, scoring touchdowns now, like that was always going to be something that was held against him until it started happening. Uh, two touchdowns yesterday, not to mention this uh, play he made early on where he did a, a Spider-Man move. That's all I can think to say where he was almost down and somehow like kept his knee from hitting the turf and wound up picking like 20 more yards up after the catch. Um, Yeah. He's having a terrific year. Great. So good after the catch and just getting open. I think a lot of people were scared off by like the depth charts analysis of the Panthers and, and knowing that Robbie had almost a hundred catches last year and Terrace Marshall was this exciting prospect and McCaffrey was coming back to, uh, poach a lot of targets, but yeah, Moore's been terrific, and I, I think that's going to continue. Jen, what's your read on what we are seeing in Atlanta with Cordero Patterson becoming this impactful fantasy force in a season where Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Mike Davis are all having the air come out of their tires? I mean, a month ago, people were drafting Mike Davis in the fifth round specifically because his backup was Cordero Patterson and not someone who might actually threaten his workload. Uh, And not only is Patterson a valuable fantasy asset now, but he might actually be vampiring the value of three teammates. I think it's amazing. I mean, you got to love a 30 year old in his fifth NFL team finally breaking out. I mean, you can't, you know, it's like, how do you not love that? First of all, um, I mean, it's, you know, it, it sucks for people that did draft Mike Davis with, with decent draft capital in the fifth round, sixth round. Uh, I think it's crazy. I think it's also crazy uh, that he has more fantasy points per game than Matt Ryan. I mean, that should not be right. He has 24.8 and Matt Ryan has 22.8 per game. So um, that's pretty nuts. You know, Matt Ryan has been a huge disappointment until this week. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it it's a tough thing. It's like a double-edged sword. Like, I love to see it, but it's also super frustrating because I, I did invest pretty heavily in Calvin Ridley. 
Uh, and so that's tough to see a guy that was a borderline first rounder. I mean, depending on on drafts and leagues and what was happening and draft strategy, some people were taking Ridley as a late first rounder, uh, you know, and he, you know, he was a, an early second for the most part. But yeah, you know, so that's tough to see. I'd like to you'd like to think there's enough for everybody. I don't know why Cordero Patterson, it seems to be a perfect storm in that offense. I don't know if Arthur Smith, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what is causing this huge breakout, but uh, I am here for it. Yeah. Go go ahead. ahead. No, I was just, I was just kind of wrap up exactly what I was going to say. It's just, you know, it's frustrating for Calvin Ridley. Um, Kyle Pitts was someone that I personally um, did not invest in. and, And I thought his ADP was way too high. Um, I understood it. I understood why people were excited about him with Julio gone and, and him being used in different parts of the field is not necessarily a tight end, but a wide out. And, and I was, I could understand it, but I didn't see it happening. Um, and so I think Kyle Pitts is someone that, you know, is frustrating for a lot of people because he's, you're in a tough spot. You spent a huge, you know, you spent a, a fourth rounder on the guy and he's just not performing. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that yesterday, just that maybe we didn't spend enough time or or maybe, I don't know, I guess I resolved to spend more time next summer looking at teams that have the potential to be offensive sinkholes. And I don't think we expected that from Atlanta this year. We, we figured Matt Ryan was going to be at least functional. Um, Arthur Smith coming in, someone most people are excited about as a play caller. Uh, I, I don't think we saw the general dip in the, the Atlanta offense coming. And um, it, it's just funny that like the one guy wouldn't have seen like lifting, <laughs> lifting things up like this is Patterson. Um, and, and now do you think he is pretty much just someone you have to ride with like in your lineup every week now? Just believe it until we stop seeing it. Yeah. I mean, I am, you know, I, I was fortunate. I grabbed him. Um, ahead of week two in, in Scott Fishbowl and in another one of my home leagues. And I've started him ever since. And I, I've been, I've been, you know, reaping the benefits of that. Um, I'm sure he's probably still on the waiver wire in, in people's, you know, in certain home leagues where people are not, you know, as heavily invested as an industry situation, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you can sit him at this point. You know, he's been steadily since week two advancing his, his usage and his output. So I don't know how, you know, unless you have, a lineup where, you know, but I feel like all of us, because of there's so many injuries that I think all of us can find a way to squeeze him in. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm jealous you got him in the Scott fishbowl because I'm stuck running out miles Sanders every week at my RB two spots. And uh, I'd, I'd certainly like to have an alternative at this point. Yeah. He's actually a wide receiver, I think in Scott fishbowl, if I remember correctly, but either way, uh, yeah, I grabbed him right ahead of week two. Cause I, I, I write a weekly stash article. So I have to like research all of that stuff. So I kind of was saw, I'm like, wait a minute, like what's happening here in Atlanta. And I grabbed him actually for free too, after the waiver wire run. So I didn't even spend any money on him, which is fun too. Oh my gosh. Um, That's uh, considering that he went for, I think $47 <laughs> yeah, in the uh, hall of fantasy league. Uh, you know, we, Oh, right. Melissa and I, I think had the second highest bid at like $18 and we just got blown out of the water by one team. I forgot who grabbed him, but uh, you know, I'm kind of jealous of them too. Get on team shack with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. 
Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. For SCA Rams, spot entitled, we believe truck month, $3,250. Total cash allowance, 2022 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab MABC 30 second radial full mix and stereo code number CRDRDT 22510. Hurry in during Ram Truck Month, where you'll find JD Power's number one brand in new vehicle quality in 2021. And right now, finance and get 3250 total cash allowance on the 2022 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab. Don't miss this great offer. Hurry into Ram Truck Month now. For 2021 J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by 5222. I mentioned Miles Sanders a second ago, Jen. Try to help, help me <laughs> get my head around the Eagles running back situation right now. Like, is Sanders still startable in a typical 12-team league? And, and for that matter, is Kenneth Gainwell playable? You know, I actually looked this up because I was kind of curious. I haven't really been paying attention too much to the backfield because I actually – Miles Sanders burned me everywhere last year. So I just like – out of recency bias, I just – I couldn't even draft him this year, so I don't have him. Um, but I looked it up, and it's kind of interesting. So Sanders right now is RB35 in half PPR points per game, and Gainwell's actually above him at RB29. Um, Sanders has is basically averaging 11.6 half PPR points a game, and, and – Gainwell's at 13.4. It's tough. I mean, Sanders, you know, the one good thing about Sanders, right, he's averaging four targets a game. So that's encouraging, right? He's getting work in the passing game. But Philly is not – they're not running the ball. Like, I looked, they only had 11 design run plays uh, yesterday. So, I mean, I just don't know how he's going to get that work. I mean, I would think – I mean, I guess I would say he's startable as like an RB, you know, low-end RB2 slash flex. but. It's still tough. I mean, there's definitely guys I would think out there that are are doing more than him. But then again, it's one of those things with Sanders, you know, just when you decide to bench him or even, God forbid, drop him, all of a sudden he's going to do something. But I think that him and Gainwell are both kind of in that same territory, like low-end RB2 flex. Um, One of them may emerge. One of them may not. You know, it could be Boston Scott three weeks from now. You know, I just think this offense is really difficult to figure out. I think as a whole, I mean, Jalen Hurts has been playing really well, so that's good. You know, and Devonta Smith has been, you know, had a great game yesterday, which is good. But, uh, yeah, the run game and the backfield is very it's, – it's a weird spot this year. It is for sure, and uh, not much of a gap in value between the two of them, even though Sanders is getting like twice as many snaps. But it seems like uh, – Gainwell gets the ball when he's in there. Like they are actively trying to to put the ball in his hands and they don't seem to be doing that with Sanders. And yeah, I mean, three, three carries for the Eagles running backs in week three. And uh, as you mentioned, like 11 designed runs. And I think it was like, what, 10 total carries between the two of them in week four. Yeah, this is not exactly running back gold in Philadelphia. <laughs> Jen, so... On your Twitter bio, you refer to yourself as a cheese freak. And uh, I'm from Wisconsin, the land of cheese. Uh, your colleague, John Paulson, also from Wisconsin. So I'm going to need a few details here. Uh, actually, Jen, what I need is your your hierarchy of cheese. So what, what varieties comprise your top five? 
So this is interesting to present this because I don't really have a top five actual cheese, but I can give you my top five genres of cheese because oh, I like awesome. cheese that much. So I really like, I would say to start out, I mean, obviously, listen, there's different cheeses for different moods, but I love the nutty type, like the manchego, like those Spanish cheeses that are super nutty. Love that, right? That's my, I don't know if that's my, you know, one, one of hierarchy, but it is, it is up there. Um, I love a stinky type. I love a blue and a gorgonzola. All day, I could do that kind of stuff. Um, and then on, on the, my third category would be the softs, right? I like brie, camembert, any of those with like, you know, like a, a, like a fruit spread or, oh, yum. Um, and then I really love a straight up American. Like on a burger, you can't have anything better. Like I don't understand... Listen, people always diss American, but on like a burger, you can't really beat it. Like I love any kind of cheese, but when you have um, a burger, I got to go American. Oh, then, here, here, yes. Right? I mean, people are always putting like Swiss and all these other stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, American on a burger, there's there's no better combo. And then my <laughs> my fifth uh, section of cheeses, and this will prove my cheese freak love for cheeses, I'll take any kind of like nasty gas station cheese sauce. Love it. With a chip, any kind of queso. Now, I don't prefer the nasty gas station cheese sauce, but I will eat it if I have to. But I do love any kind of queso. Like, I will drink it. I mean, not really, but um, I do love, you know, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not picky when it comes to cheese. I will do it all. I will say, though, the, there is one cheese that I don't love, and I will eat it if it's on a sandwich or if it's in a situation, but Swiss is probably my absolute, like, least in the hierarchy. Like I will, I will avoid it if I can, I will eat it if I have to, there's something about it. It just doesn't do it for me. I do think though, it's a weird, like PTSD thing from my childhood. Cause my mom always bought this weird, like diet Swiss cheese. And I think that's like in my brain, it had this weird aftertaste. And so I think that's why Swiss, I still can't eat it, but uh, I will eat it all, you know, any kind of cheese. Um, thank God I am not lactose intolerant. Um, yeah. would be a, a very rough blow <laughs> to myself. And it's funny, I've passed it on. My son is a cheese freak too. So um, I don't know if that really necessarily answered your question, but I gave you at least five genres of cheese that I love. Oh, you more than answered the question, Ted. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Swiss is like its own cheese. And I, I kind of am with you there. Like I've developed, I don't know, I, I don't really order it. That's not what I am getting right. a burger. I'm getting like, you know, some sort of blue cheese burger or something with cheddar. And, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't even eat Swiss until like I was into my twenties probably before I like would tolerate it on a sandwich. And uh, yeah, it's got like kind of a rancid. It's funny. Cause I'll be like, Oh, it tastes kind of rancid. And then I was like, yeah, but you'll eat like, you know, fermented, whatever cheese. Like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but it's different. Something about Swiss has this weird rancidy aftertaste. that just doesn't, uh, it doesn't do it for me. Yeah. You know, what's really been coming on strong for me, like the, the real Parmesan, like oh, I've, yeah. I've gotten into some high quality Parmesan cheeses lately, you know, and for a long time, I thought of Parmesan as the stuff that you shake out of a, a container on your <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, but no, no, no. Like yeah, the really get... good stuff just has this quality to it. Oh, that's just it's, amazing. Yeah, there's a there's a nuttiness that's fantastic. Like the Parmesan Reggiano or the other one, I can't think of the name right now. But yeah, they are um, fantastic when you and like you sh like the shaves as opposed to like the, the, the pat, you know, oh. So good. Phenomenal. All right. We're going to, we're going to eventually <laughs> have to get together for wine and cheese, Jen. There's yes. no question. So uh, next it. time I'm out in Denver. So you graduated from the University of Georgia's School of Journalism. Uh, were you there for, for broadcast or print? 
I was there for print. Um, unfortunately, you know, the broadcast, listen, I'm old, right? No secret there. And it's frustrating because now there's an entire like sports journalism department. None of that existed when I was there. There was no sports of any kind. Um, and that's what I've always wanted to do. I mean, I grew up, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to work for the NFL. That was my dream as a kid. And um, I always wanted to work in sports and that didn't, you know, they didn't have that department. So I just kind of went in the regular route and I actually ended up being an, I was an advertising major, um, which is, you know, part of the J school. Um, but I didn't, you know, I took plenty of, you know, writing classes and reporting classes and journalism law, communication law, all of that. So, but I, but my actual major was advertising with an art minor. So it's kind of a different, different route, but still J school. Uh, and it's great. I mean, listen, the, you know, University of Georgia, it's the Peabody, you know, we have the Peabody awards. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a fantastic journalism school. Unfortunately, I found out later, it's, it's actually the Henry Grady school of journalism. And I just found out a couple of years ago that he was a massive, like racist KKK guy. No, so no. that kind of sucks. And I, you know, I don't know if they're going to change the name eventually, but, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, Georgia is uh, <clears throat> super fun. I mean, Athens is a great college town and it was a, uh, yeah, it was super fun to be there. And, uh, you know, I kind of ended up at the University of Georgia, not knowing really what, what the journalism school was all about. I kind of, you know, kind of landed there by accident and then realized once I was there, oh, wow, this is one of the best ones in the country and I'm here. I actually didn't even know that. Uh, and it's, you know, it's tough to get into. You can't just like go to school and be, you know, you have to take all these tests once you're there, once you get past your, you know, your freshman year, you have to take tests to get into the J school. So um, it was a great experience. I'm glad I did it. I, I'm jealous of the kids that are there now that get to actually study sports broadcasting because that's, uh, would, you know, would be great. They just didn't have it when I was there. It wasn't a major, it wasn't even a class. Yeah, and what a great football program to be able oh. to cover there when you're, uh, you know, getting into sports journalism. Are you still a, a Dogs fan? And I, oh, I'm yeah. assuming you went to your share of games while you were in Athens. I did. Um, unfortunately, I was there. Uh, I was there in the early '90s, and um, they were horrible. So I did. I went to every game I could, and. Um, they were not good. You know, it's funny. People get so frustrated at the SEC and people get so frustrated at Georgia, like thinking that we've been good forever and that, the, and it's not that way. I mean, it was, it was a struggle. It was um, that like the, the Eric Zier era. Yes, it was the Eric Zier era. It was the, yeah, it was him. I mean, we had Heinz Ward for a bit. He was quarterback uh, there. And um, yeah, I mean, we had some, we had definitely had good pieces and good players, but as a whole, uh, coach, you know, we had Ray Goff, who was a horrible coach. It just wasn't, it wasn't a good era to be there. Um, but yeah. And, you know, we had actually Terrell Davis too, at the very end, uh, was there with me too. So you guys did kill us in some secondary, I'm a Wisconsin guy and you, you destroyed us in some secondary new early new year's day bowl, uh, when it was like Mike Bobo at quarterback Heinz Ward was playing and, um, you know, thank God the Bloody Marys were flowing that morning because that was the only thing that was uh, enjoyable about that New Year's Day. I mean, you guys beat us by like 40. So, Oh, wow. I don't really remember that specifically. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's tough being a Georgia fan. It's um, it's difficult. So like, for example, this year, right, I'm trying not to get too excited. This This team is incredible. This defense is something special, you know but I have to temper those expectations. I've been a fan for 30 years and I've seen it all. I've seen them have great teams and then lose to a random, you know, crappy South Carolina team or whatever. Uh, you know, I watched them have a fantastic team a couple of years ago. You know, they lost to Alabama in the championship game and they had them at halftime, you know, and it's, 
it's so hard to get too excited. But, you know, the fact that they just shut out the number 18 in the country uh, a couple of days ago is, is pretty exciting. And I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to temper a little bit. But, yes, I'm a huge Georgia fan, way more than any NFL fandom. Uh, you know, that that's that's the one team that I root for every day, all day. So how did you first how did you first get into uh, fantasy football? And uh, like once you were into that, how did you get into fantasy writing? So my um, my first so my first fantasy team was in 1996. And I had a friend of mine from college uh, ask me if I wanted to share a team with him. I mean, I had I really you know, I had heard of it kind of but you know, that was the era, you know, the pre internet pre computer era. So it was all done on paper. And it was kind of a you know, the nerdy thing, you know, and I was kind of like, all right, sure, whatever, I'll do it with you. And so, uh, yeah, we shared a team and, you know, I, that was it, you know, from then on, I kind of loved it. Um, I don't, you know, it's funny. People always ask, like, did you win? I'm like, I don't remember. The only thing I do remember from that first season is that we did have the first overall pick and we took Ricky Waters. And that is the only thing I remember from that season. I don't remember if we won or not, but, uh, yeah. So from then on, I decided to have my own team and, you know, I kept, uh, kept going. We had that league, that specific league was around for a really long time. Like that league actually made it into the internet era, but you know, the beginning it was like, you know, we did the, cause I, I moved actually, I lived in Atlanta at that time. And then I moved to Colorado that during that season. And so the next season it was kind of a, okay, how do we do this draft? Because the first one was live. And, you know, back in that day we did that. I don't know if you remember the, you remember three-way calling, like the oh, you sure. know, a landline, you would like click the thing. So we did that with 10 people, like one person would do it, then the next person would do it. So we were all on three-way call. Oh, and wow. we did Because it was pre like conference. No one had offices with conference call. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But so that is how we would do our drafts for a couple of years. And yeah. And so I ended up, I played for a really long time. And then, you know, as far as just the second part of that question. So I kind of towed the line. I was... Um, I was covering regular football. So at, at, when it, before I came to 444, I was uh, I was writing for Bleacher Report. I was covering the Broncos. I was doing a couple other things. I was doing kind of local local sports radio here in town. And I was part of this other group that we, I was writing for. And I wasn't doing fantasy. I was just writing, you know, regular football, <clears throat> covering the weekly stuff. And, um, you know, I was still playing fantasy the whole time. And you know, I got involved, of course, like everyone else in fantasy Twitter. And I was just a person that was there, you know, contributing, however. And I just kind of, I became friends with Josh, you know, the owner of 444. And I just kind of, one day I was like, why am I not, you know, if I'm writing, why am I not writing for this? Like this doesn't, you know, it just like one day it just clicked. Like I should be doing this instead. And so I just actually, I slid into Josh's DMs. I'm like, any chance you're looking for a writer? And, you know, he gave me a shot and I just kind of, you know, fell in love with it, realized that I actually was pretty good at this. You know, I can read because I'm super like, you know, this industry, we all know you're, you're a part of it. Everyone is, is very analytical. Everyone is very, you know, left brained for the most part. And I am not, I am a right brained creative person. Like I am a writer foremost before I'm a, a fantasy analyst. So I wasn't sure if I could kind of make that transition and I realized that I could, you know, I can analyze data, I can figure this out. And so I feel like I kind of added a, a different niche, I guess. And at that time, I mean, now we have all kinds of people in the industry making videos and doing all this crazy creative stuff. But at that time, when I came in, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm a, a different voice here for people that, you know, are not super analytical, but still want the data and still want to know what's going on, but can, you know, read it in, in a more approachable way. And I still feel like that I'm that way as a writer. You know, a lot of people in this industry, 
you know, geek out over all the charts and the viz and, and it's cool and it's great, but there's a lot of people out there that aren't into that and just want to know who do I start, you know, why and who. And so I feel like I kind of provided that and still do. I'm glad you phrased it that way. Cause that uh, sort of explains my experience in the fantasy football media that I'm sort of a right brain person who feels like an interloper in the left brain world of, of fantasy analysis. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, feel like an intruder, like someone's going to recognize me as uh, someone who shouldn't be there and right. you know, well, stole, stole the name <laughs> tag from someone. Yeah. Well, listen, we all, imposter syndrome is real. We all have it, you know, and it's funny because I, you know, I'm, I edit all the redraft content at four for four. So I edit a lot of articles that I'm like reading this and I'm like, okay, I do understand it, but I kind of don't. And I hope other people do because I look at these charts and it's just dots and things. And I'm like, okay, I get it, but all right. I'm just going to assume that that makes sense to other people. It's hard. I know. I'm never going to be the one doing the charts with dots like that. Yeah. That will never be me. It could <laughs> never possibly be me. Um, one thing you do every week at four for four is uh, the article on survivor pool strategy. And I've, I've got to get your take on this. What's your general philosophy on survivor pools? Like I, I'm total tunnel vision and surviving one week at a time. And yesterday I was all over Buffalo. Like, yeah, I, I just want to live to fight another yeah. day. Uh, are you that way or are you more about planning several weeks ahead uh, where, you know, you're tr trying to connect the right dots on the, the schedule and like choose the perfect eight week path, nine week path? Yeah, no, I think I fall somewhere in the middle, but lean more towards you. I definitely don't do an eight, you know, as I told you earlier, like in my life, I'm just, I'm not that way anyway. I'm not like a full planner. Um, I do like to try to save some of the teams that are, uh, you know, going to win most of their games um, for later on down the road. But in a situation, like you said, like last week, if you, if there's just nothing else that's super clear, I'll throw out Buffalo because you have to, like, you just want to make it to the next week. It would be nice to have a couple, you know, like the Kansas city and the Buffalo and the Tampa Bay. It would be nice to save one or two of those as you get farther down kind of as a crutch to have, but you also want to survive. And this, I mean, this year, listen, every year it's weird you're never going to, you know, no one can predict all these games, crazy stuff happens. And so you just, kind of want to survive i mean it depends on the pool like so that's that article that i write it's a survivor but then it's also a pick and pool and so you're trying to you know sometimes try to see value and and try to gauge what the public is going to take and then th those there's a few games where you can get the other and and hopefully you know come out on top so um those things are harder than people realize you know like people laugh that i write this article but it's like there's actually a strategy there and and it's difficult and a lot of people you know it's nice to do those pools where you get like a couple strikes so you're not completely screwed um but yeah i mean i'm like you i will if if i'm in a pickle and i'm looking around i'm like i don't love any of these games then i'll go ahead and take the buffalo um or someone that you know is going to win just so you can get on to the next week and then you deal with it later you know yeah it's the the fatalism that you have to engage in in those pools like thinking about what could possibly go wrong and i'm i'm that's what kind of steered me away from the saints i know uh the saints were where a lot of survivor pools went to die this past weekend um just you know could i envision a, a four interception Jameis winston game uh of course and it turns out that wasn't what did the saints in uh but at the same time down they went and uh you know anyone who didn't take the easy layup with the bills is probably regretting it now. Yeah, and I have to say the Saints were one of my picks in that pool. So I haven't looked actually at how uh <coughs> excuse me, how I did, but I know I know I picked the Saints. So 
that was a tough one. I really thought at home that they were going to, you know, make it happen, but. Yeah, same. I mean, it's all percentages. And of course, you know, they were a long shot to actually lose that game, but um also do the the weekly droppables article for four for four have you started looking at week five droppables like if so who are some of the people you think are going to be on this week's list you know i i've started a little uh this is actually right now is my droppable time that i'm usually writing this article so i didn't have a ton of time um because i'm on here with you um but I looked at, you know, my own personal team and got a few names just to kind of, it's funny. So last week we talked a little bit about Pitts. So last week I put Pitts in my drop column at the bottom saying he has one more week. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't include him last week because I didn't want the pitchforks. Um, but I think, you know, and the thing with Pitts is that, is he droppable? Probably. But at the same time, you invested so much in him and tight end is so gross that you're kind of stuck with him. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to drop him for, you know, maybe a, a Dawson Knox or, or a Schultz if he's still there. But at the same time, you're probably stuck with him. But um, some other guys I looked at real quick, um, I think Ayuk is an interesting name that, you know, I don't know if you keep waiting on him or if he's droppable. It depends really, I think, on the quarterback situation there. Um, another guy that I, I threw out there. Um, Tyson Williams, I think we're at a point that uh, I think we're done with him. Yeah. I, I Healthy don't think scratch we, yesterday. Sure. Yeah. And you got Murray and Bell now, or uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think he's probably droppable. And then another guy, um, at first glance, you know, Terrace Marshall, um, people have probably been hanging on to him, hoping that, uh, you know, but I think that, yeah, I think that team is all DJ Moore. And I, and I don't think that Terrace Marshall, I don't think that that rookie breakout is coming. I'm not sure how many people – I didn't look at the percentages, so I don't know how many people are rostering him still. Uh, but that was kind of a, a first glance. I mean, we are recording this on Monday morning, so I haven't had a ton of time to look them over. But those were a couple of names that just stuck out to me. You know, can I throw out two more and, and yes, you can please. tell me if you – your first gut reaction, whether you think there are any compelling reasons to hold on to either of these guys. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, um, I don't I, – yeah, probably not. There's just I, I, there's too many other wide receivers out there that are performing, and we're coming into week five where people need to make those choices. You, you need the points, and I, I think he's probably droppable without doing any research on actual target, you know, share any of that. But my first thing is he probably is. Yeah, I think he was like two catches on seven targets yesterday, and just like seven of those low value targets in a day where Chase Claypool didn't play. And yeah. the, and they had favorable, unfavorable pass heavy game script the entire way, basically against Green Bay. You know they they got the seven zero lead immediately, gave it away, and and played from behind most of the day. So the fact that Juju only got those, the fact that Najee Harris is taking up so many of those short area targets now, just seems like there's like not much to pin our hopes to anymore. Love it. Just wrote him on my list here. So. <laughs> Here's one more. Is, is there any <laughs> is there any reason to hang on to Evan Ingram? Uh, probably not. I didn't. I actually haven't looked in, to see what he did this week, but I, I can't imagine there is. I mean, and that's a, that's a tough one because now, granted, he wasn't very pricey. I mean, he was definitely he slipped this this year uh, in drafts. So at least you know people didn't blow too much uh, on him. But yeah, I, there there are there's better options out there than him. I don't know why. I can't see why you would hang on to him. Yeah, and just with Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton out yesterday, and maybe this was a, a chance for him to step up and be a little more involved, and instead it was Kadarius Tony 
who actually looked pretty good and is going to be kind of an interesting waiver guy this week. And uh, Galladay showed up. Right? Yeah, Galladay shows up. Even John Ross got involved. So uh, if Ingram couldn't assert himself yesterday, it just seems like there's not much hope left right. for him. Uh, Jen, which players have like totally knocked your socks off this season? Like who has wildly exceeded your every expectation? So, you know, the first one I have here is Mike Williams. And the thing with Mike Williams is I actually was on him, but not like this, right? I mean, I, I actually fortunately drafted a lot of Mike Williams because taking a look at the situation, you're like, okay, you've got a guy with a huge arm in Justin Herbert. He's obviously the real deal. And then you and then you have Henry is gone, so you only have Keenan Allen, and, like, nobody was taking Mike Williams. And I was thinking – I mean, he was – I don't remember what his actual ADP was, but – People didn't trust him, and I understand. He hasn't been fantastic. He's only had 1,000-yard season, which was in 2019. But I knew that he was going to at least be, you know, a good functional wide receiver. I definitely did not expect where he is and and what he's been doing. It's been pretty incredible to see, Um, and hopefully it's sustainable because – he is someone that has kind of been up and down in years past where he's had good games, bad games. He's been hurt. Uh, but, you know, right now he's the wide receiver five um, and this offense is, is playing well. And so, you know, like I said, I'm fortunate that I did draft him in certain places, but uh, he is someone that definitely surprised me. Um, I expected him to be good. I didn't expect him to be, you know, fantasy wide receiver one good. I thought he'd be, you know, a good wide receiver two and he would shock people. But this is pretty impressive. I mean, did you were you on him? No. And uh, Melissa and I were just talking about this the other day. Like if we had taken him instead of Brandon Ayuk, because like we've lost two games and in both of those, we were fairly close. And I guess we don't know, uh, you know, as we record this, the Monday night game has not yet been played. So we don't know if if Mike Williams will get the points that we would have needed to to take down the bar flies in week four. But um, our, our team would just look so much better. And um, I I was kind of like you, I sort of got on him late and I'm at least adequately represented with Mike Williams. Uh, I got him in enough leagues. My home leagues are usually the ones that draft later than the the analyst uh, analyst league. Don't have him in many analyst leagues, but have him in a few home leagues. So um, yeah, I mean, he exactly, he is just uh, looking fabulous and, and like, this was the stardom we were waiting for. You know, he had the thousand yard season earlier. He had the 10 touchdown season earlier, but he hadn't really put it all together. And now he is. No, it's exciting. And if it makes you feel any better, uh, we lost because of him last week in, in, uh, in the hall of fantasy league. So if that makes you feel any better. Uh, he, yeah, I can't remember which team it was we played last week, but they had Herbert and Williams combo. And that last touchdown at the end, put us over the edge and we lost. So that was tough. Um, but yeah, Mike Williams, I'm excited. The, the the other guy that I'll throw out there for you who has completely surprised me is Gronk. I mean, I know he's hurt right now, but, uh, you know, I thought, I mean, so he missed last week, right, or yesterday, and he's still the tight end two overall in, in half PPR points and in half PPR points per game. And I mean, granted, tonight Waller hasn't played yet, so, you know, but still, like, we're, I mean, Gronk is tight end two. Nobody, I, I can't imagine anyone saw that coming. I thought that... You know, the, the Bucks would kind of, you know, bubble wrap him a bit and save him for the postseason and just kind of have him out there, but not be super featured. And, you know, he, you know, he is getting older. And, and I figured that, you know, maybe he wouldn't get the usage that he's gotten. And, and I, I definitely will have to say I am way underrepresented. I don't think I drafted him at all. 
And so um, he definitely has surprised me. You know, I've, I've talked about this, Jen, and it's just so funny that we spent all summer trying to figure out who might be the cheap tight end that we're later on yep. so happy that we <laughs> took uh, at an inexpensive price. Maybe it would be Irv Smith. Maybe it would be Tyler Higby. Maybe Adam Troutman. All these names kicked around. And it was never Gronk, the guy who actually no. used to be drafted <laughs> where we draft Travis Kelsey now, a, a guy who was like a first round consideration. And it's just such a slap your forehead moment that this is the guy who has bubbled up as the cheap guy that we should have been on all along. So yeah, totally agree with you there. Um, what about guys you overestimated? Was there anyone who's just in a tailspin that you didn't see coming? Yeah, I've got a couple guys. You know, the first one I'll stay on the same vein because we're talking about tight end. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a full tailspin or full panic mode, but George Kittle is, is a little bit, uh, you know, he's not great, you know, for, for his draft capital. Uh, you know, he's only seen double-digit fantasy points once so far, you know. And, you know, I, I think just more more based on draft capital because he is, a you know, a second to early third rounder and um, he's not performing as such. And so, you know, that offense is, is a little bit, you know, kind of Jekyll and Hyde right now. We're not exactly sure, but – you know, Kittle's the one guy we kind of thought was a sure thing in that offense. And um, he really hasn't been. And yes, he, he was a little bit hurt yesterday, but um, that's someone that, you know, I didn't invest heavily in, but I know that, you know, people who did were expecting him to be a top three tight end and he is not at the moment. So, you know, we'll have to kind of see how that shakes out. So like I said, I wouldn't call it full tailspin, full panic, but you know, right now I'm looking real quick. He's tight end 11 right now. So, I mean, you know, you never would think that like, Mike Jasicki or, or Noah Fant or, or Goddard, you know, Dawson Knox, you know, Dalton Schultz. You wouldn't think like guys, guys like that would be outperforming him, but they are. So he's my first guy. Um, my second guy in this category is Robert Woods. Uh, similar to Kittle, not, not a full panic, full tailspin, but, you know, his usage is definitely concerning. I mean, Cup has 46 targets right now. Woods has 25 and Van Jefferson has 18. So, you know, he's not much above Van Jefferson and he's way below Woods. And, you know, I, for one, thought coming into the season that it would be more of a 1A, 1B, you know, not a, you know, a 1-2 situation in that uh, Rams offense. But, you know, I guess Woods isn't having breakfast with Stafford or whatever that is. So I don't know. But, you know, he I mean, he got in yesterday, which is nice, you know, for those people that, that, that have him rostered. Um, he, did, he did score a touchdown, but, you know – no one. I didn't see this coming. This kind of discrepancy, you know, between the cup and him. Did you? No. And and that was a very late touchdown, by the way, yesterday. That was garbage time extravaganza. So I'm sure you um, loved that in, the, in, the, in our matchup. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We were, we, that was a bit of an eye roller when that happened, for <laughs> sure. No question. Um, yeah. Wouldn't have met. Wouldn't have been the decisive blow anyway. But um, yeah, it is frustrating. We did not see that coming either. I mean, I've got Woods in a couple of leagues. I mean, I didn't get out too far over my skis with him, but, um, you know, any amount of shares of Robert Woods, I guess this year was too much. And, and, you know, we did not see the Cooper cup, uh, dominance of, of the targets in this passing game coming. And Kittle is interesting. I mean, Kittle is a guy I am totally guilty of being overly high on coming into this season. And maybe, 
we have to start giving credence to the idea that it's the Shanahan system that sort of makes the tight end here, because I know a lot of people were speculating on where we would be ranking Ross Dwelly if Kittle did not play in week four. And a lot of people suggested to me that he should be a tight end one. And, uh, you know, then Kittle winds up playing and Dwelly gets a touchdown anyway, which was kind of amusing. Uh, not so much to Kittle investors, but um, no, I, I think that's a good one for sure. And especially since it was people spending like a late second or early third round pick on him and, and some of the receivers who you might have gotten there, DJ Moore or, uh, you know, some of these other truly valuable guys. So that does look like a, uh, you know, squandered draft capital as of now, but we'll see. I mean, there's still time for him to turn it around. And at least, you know, there are so many have nots at tight end this year that, you know, you're still feeling pretty good about being able to, uh, I don't know, get something out of that position every week. Well, uh, that's Jennifer Akins, everyone. You can find her work at 4for4.com, and you can find her on Twitter at the Monday Mommy. Jen, this was a lot of fun. Uh, again, we're going to have to do that wine and cheese date at some point. Thanks for stopping by, and here's to the Seattle Hayes and Boston Barflies meeting up again in the Hall of Fantasy League championship game. I love it. I'm all about it. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. It was a good good start to my Monday morning. Um, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm definitely down for some wine and cheese. And that's it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Jennifer Akins of 4for4.com. Find her on Twitter at the Monday Mommy. I also need to thank my wonderful producer, Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And check out the podcast he co-hosts along with Sean Siegel, the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. The music for Fits on Fantasy is provided by International Jet Sets. And again, my thanks to all of you. I appreciate your listenership and support, and I'm grateful that you gave me an hour of your time today. So long, everyone. Talk to you next week. Hi, my name is Elliot Smith. I host a podcast on the Blue Wire Network, and we are fundraising to help child refugees from the war in Ukraine. Through Save the Children's Emergency Fund, we can make a big difference for these needy children. Please help us. You can go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, and click Charity. That'll take you to our Just Giving page, and when you donate, you're even eligible to win some prizes. Please help us raise money for these needy children at arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash give. Let's show what the Blue Wire Network family can do.